0: Welcome to the producer podcast this is a show where we interview successful producers from around the world we ask them how they make their music what they're doing in the studio software hardware what plugins are using we talk about their careers get any marketing advice we can out of them the whole goal is to help you guys out there become better producers yourselves better musicians and get your music out there and heard we always have an amazing producer on the show this show is no different. Happy to have Blendrix joining us from Fort Collins, Colorado, supposedly one of the nicest places in the country, from what I hear. How's it going, man?
1: Uh, pretty good. Uh, you're definitely right on that. Um, it's, a, it's a great place to live. Uh, a lot of really creative types around here. So, you know, there's always lots of um, visual art to be inspired by a lot of other musicians to constantly, you know, keep me pushing, you know, keep pushing me to do, do better with my music. So um, it's just a great place to live um, to be
0: an artist. Oh man, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Tampa, and I'm not feeling it down here, mm. especially for the EDM. Mm-hmm.
1: But, yeah, there's a lot of the, the the taste in this area, in terms of electronic stuff, is a lot more organic. So, um, yeah, you still have the people who are a little, you know into the more commercial parts of it, but um, you'll find a lot of people around here who are um, into the more sort of like West Coast, like I should like Northwest, like uh, you know Bay Area kind of sound. So. Um, and that's kind of the direction I'm going with my stuff. Do they despise the term EDM? I think the, the, the backlash towards the EDM phrase, um, in the U S has only been in the last year or so. Um, before that it was just being used as a blanket term and it didn't really have any like sort of negative connotation to it. I think that it, that really just started growing as it got to the point where, where the festivals were getting so huge, uh, and, and completely, you know, all of the, sort of ridiculousness of it got yeah. really publicized right. to where journalists could start making fun of them. That's when it got to the point where then they, they like wanted to I think a lot of people want to distance them, themselves from it. Right. so that's, I think part of it. Um, that makes I don't sense. think it's anything necessarily wrong with the phrase. Um, you know, when people ask me what kind of music I make, if I make the judgment call from just looking at them, that they probably wouldn't know what I'm talking about. If I told them I, <laughs> that I make like, <laughs> organic, industrial, uh, orchestral cinematic, you know, they're, they're going to be just like shaking their heads. So I'll just say, ah, it's electronic dance music. <laughs>
0: perfect. <laughs> EDM. So perfect. So that's the kind of music you do.
1: Um, you know, I've done a little bit of a lot of, a, a lot of stuff. Um, when I first got into it, the, all I was listening to was electro house. And it was like, you know, um, around the time when, uh, when all the, um, like Brazilian electro house was really getting, uh, flourishing. And, then uh, you know, I I found what drew me into it was the complexity of the sounds, and then I started realizing that there's so many other different beats per minute and different sort of vibes and and different um, aesthetics that you can get into besides just the four on the floor beat and the you know up tempo party kind of stuff. And I started really enjoying a lot of the more down tempo things where you're still getting a lot of the cool textures um, and and use of the stereo field, but it's um, a little more, it's music that can be more friendly to a, to a, um, sort of a deeper environment where people are getting more into the, like actually listening to the music and, and maybe still dancing. Yes, but not just jumping up and down fist pumping.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) So I like that. That's cool that you do that. Yeah. I I think everybody grows
1: up at one point in their life, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they start they start realizing, Hey, you know, I, I, I gotta stop uh partying quite so much but make sure that when i do party that i'm I'm making it count and i make it mean something
0: right right that's a cool way of looking at it yeah i have the problem of that too in my car like i give i'm not a huge fan of big room house because i listen to it in my car mm-hmm. and i'm not jumping up and down and fist pumping and so when those drops come with those one note drops i'm like oh this is kind of boring right now right but i'll get over it <laughs> so well, what doll do you use when you create your music well, um, I use
1: two uh let me i guess. use
0: let me guess Ableton and bitwig uh
1: actually the, that's the third one that I've started adding recently. I haven't actually made any um any songs with it yet, but i'm I'm getting into it okay um but that we will we'll get to that point okay. it's, it's, i think it's it's bitwig's it's an incredibly awesome and very, very impressive uh, first outing for for a company. I mean, like I'm totally impressed by what they've done. As you know, and, and for the pricing that they offer, especially for, with you get the um, the student discount, it's just unreal compared to a lot of the other offerings out there. Um, and the fact that it's cross-platform is really impressive. But um, I, it, I think it needs another release before it's ready to compete with the likes of Ableton. Right um so what what for the for the production um for the sound design and for most of the original like the the arrangement stuff um all of the melodic composition um you know harmonies and things like that and even a good portion of the um effects processing stereo panning and stuff like that however i leave all of the um mixing uh like eq and compression stuff especially sidechain compression stuff um until a certain point in the project where i feel like i'm ready to move on and at that point i export all of the individual tracks as stems and then open them up in um logic pro 10 and um actually do all of the um the eq the mixing um and and uh and compression stuff on all those individual stems at that point uh for couple reasons uh when i first got into it i thought you know that um logic was a a better um sort of linear workflow kind of thing where um i've only started doing that in the the last maybe a little bit less than a year and i figured out that one of the things that was keeping me from making songs was that i felt like i always had the opportunity to go back and change something um and because of that, I never finished anything. I was constantly tweaking things. I would work on the same track for months and months and months and it would always be getting d- different, but it wouldn't necessarily be getting better. Gotcha. And so uh, I felt like if, if I could establish a point in my workflow where, okay, I'm switching to a different piece of software now, I'm working on now on WAV files rather than uh, you know with with MIDI uh, stuff that's g- getting uh, SoftSense to play in the program. Um, at that point, there's no way to go back and change the melody and there's no way to go back and change the, you know, cutoff frequency on that, on that, um, on that filter that's that's on the LFO or whatever, all of those, um, things that I would normally be having these, these sort of micro crises of like, Oh, I better go ahead and change that or fix that or whatever that nothing's ever complete. So you might as well at some point move on and start working on something else or finish what you've got, (laughs) you know? Um,
0: that's why so that's, you used two dolls?
1: That's, that's what that's got me into it. Yeah, like what, what got me into using it was, was the idea that I could basically force myself to move on to another, a, a new point in the project and actually get the track finished because I was hitting a wall where I didn't want to go past it and actually master the track. But because I was giving myself the opportunity to go back and change stuff, I just never actually did it. You know, right, right, I was I constantly tweaking things. So I
0: thought you were um, going to say something like you like eat like Logic EQ or something like that. I do, not- I do
1: actually, and I, I think that um, to a certain degree, that's part of it is that you know, in a lot of my tracks, I've got 25, 30 um, separate uh, little sets of of synths and other things running at once, and at some point, you know, even though I have a pretty monstrous production machine here, it's still not enough. Uh, I've gotten, I mean, most of the time when my tracks are playing, my, my CPU indicator in Ableton's up in the 80s. Gotcha.
0: Um,
1: and, you know, and, and that's very taxing um, on the system. And, and even though I've, I've already set the system up to prioritize uh, Ableton, uh, the process at the, you know, on on the on operating system level, basically give it all the system resources and ignore everything else, um, even then it still kind of runs out of Steam at some point. And if I start throwing in, like, mastering plugins on top of that, that then it basically all goes to hell. So by exporting, I've set myself a you know no turning back point for finishing tracks, and also give myself a little more CPU headroom to be able to really put the the fin- finishing touches on the track um, and and add all the polish that's necessary to to make it um, you know a really worthwhile track.
0: I see that's a cool move. It's interesting. I like that. So whatever, it's also whatever nice it takes to get the, more than
1: one, whatever, like,
0: Go ahead. Where there must be a lag here on our Skype. What, whatever it takes to get the song done, you know, and yeah, it sounds like you're doing it. Um, I was going
1: to say, it's, it's also really, it's, it's nice to be more uh, familiar with more than one DAW as well. Even if there was no other reason than just to teach myself a second DAW. And, you know, I'm doing the same thing with Bitwig now is, uh, you know, I've got a little project that i'm going to start producing um a track or two in bitwig just to just to teach myself that program through and through um so
0: yeah it, i'm with it, you i, it, I like using them
1: all to try it
0: <laughs> yeah i like using them all i use i mean i'm right on my shelf here i got fl studio cubase sonar um magix samplitude mm. i love them i mean it's just it's just fun they're very 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 different but they all they all have the same purpose and uh, you get some different you just get different flavors out of each one yep. some better than others yep tell us about your workflow how do you write a song um
1: <laughs> that kind of depends on the song um i've had some songs where i was instantly inspired by an event that i was attending and when i say instantly i mean literally i would be at a show um, at there's a there's a um, there's a venue that's about a block and a half down the street from my apartment in downtown Fort Collins called the Aggie Theater. Um, and there have been times where I've been at a show there and I've gotten literally so inspired by the artist playing there that I wait until that track is done, turn around, and walk out the door, <laughs> run back to my studio, and start working on something because I can't not do that at that moment. Wow. For to a certain degree, it's it's you know it's kind of nice because I've got the luxury to do that. Um, so you know most people probably wouldn't you know, get in their car and drive away from the club that they were at that that night and then go start working on something at home. But, um, you know, I, I've just, I've got the flexibility where I could work on something for half an hour and then decide I want to go back to catch the end of the set or whatever. So, but it's, um, you know, sometimes it's really spontaneous like that. And then there are other times where there's an idea that's been festering in my mind for months and months about uh, either a specific, um, sort of musical concept that i want to work on like a specific sound design technique or um in the in the case of the ep that i'm releasing this week uh it's uh, it politically motivated um or maybe not politically in the sense of the you know democrats and republicans kind of sense but in the in the sort of um our place in society sort of
0: i sense. got you so I got you.
1: um You know, we can talk about that more later on if you want to. But uh, you know, what really, what really turns me on is, uh, you know, the moments of creative inspiration that just like that, that feel like I'm being compelled. By a force, you know, that's obviously coming from within myself, but it doesn't feel like it's coming from within myself because I mean, I can't stop. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm, you know, probably slightly bipolar because I'll get these manic episodes where I'll, I mean, I'll, I've literally, the last couple of days, um, I'm trying to finish out a remix that I'm doing for one of my um, mentors. Uh, and I worked on it for about 48 hours straight with nothing but bathroom breaks and snacks. Wow. Um, just lots and lots and lots of coffee.
0: Wow, that's
1: crazy. <laughs> so um, and like and it wasn't like I was even trying really hard to do that. I didn't ca- have to keep forcing myself to sit back in the chair. Like when I get in that zone, it just happens. And then I'll lose track of an entire day, just not even remembering that that I had other things that I needed to do that day or whatever. So <laughs> I think it's a bit of a sickness.
0: <laughs> no, no, any hey. <laughs> Any type of creation, if you're creating and writing music, I don't care how you do it. If you're manic doing it or whatever, I think it's healthy. Creating, creating is good.
1: I I think. uh, Well, when I say sickness, I mean the fact that yeah, it ends up uh, putting me in states where I'm sleep deprived and (laughs) malnourished. So yeah, okay, that yeah, you do got to take care (laughs) of
0: your body. Good point. Good point.
1: But uh, you know that that's kind of. that's not the only way that I work either. That's only when I'm working by myself. Obviously I would never expect a collaborator to stay up with me for that much time, but it's kind of like a, you know, when I'm working on something that's just me, I, you know, I feel like I can get more work done if I keep it all happening in the same sort of in the same waking cycle and in the same state of mind. So if I never leave that, that chair and I'm like constantly in that zone, it, it allows me to achieve a more cohesive, um, product
0: I wow think. more power to you man what's this remix and who's your mentor I
1: mean, um okay well you, i don't know you, you probably have heard of the guy um he uh, his name is vespers he um founded the uh, warp academy um which is a, a major competitor to uh some of the uh, like online sort of music teaching schools their um classes uh are far better priced in my opinion and especially for the value that they offer. Um, you know, when I first got into watching it, you know, it was pretty much just his free YouTube videos, but his tutorials were so much better, um, worded. Uh. And you know, when he was explaining stuff, he would not only demonstrate it on the screen, but he would give very, very thorough and, 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 um, enjoyable explanations to why these things were happening. I felt like a lot of tutorial videos out there that I was watching, they either didn't have the technical ability to really demonstrate it very well, or they had the technical ability, but they were so technical that it completely went over my head. Um, I felt that he, he did a great job of balancing those. And so when I started taking classes from him um, a while ago, he uh, told me about this this track he was releasing, and then he gave me the stems for it. So <laughs> it's actually been in my... Uh, like in my queue for about a year. And I've had, I've had it in various states of, of um, completeness for a very long time. And sometimes I've gone a few months without working on it. Other times I've gone, as I've said, a few days working on nothing but that. So, wow. um, but it's a, uh, it's a, it started off as a, one of his kind of signature sound style tracks is a sort of a jazzy glitch hop saxophone kind of uh, vibe and the, the direction I'm taking it, it's a little more mechanical, um, still very swing, uh, but I really like experimenting with um, halftime and double time breaks. So, um, you know, if it's at 172 beats per minute, you know, at some points, you know, it's going to sound like drum and bass and other points it's going to sound like drum step, but it's also swung. So it sounds kind of like glitch hop. I really don't know how to, how to categorize it. And uh, <laughs> in fact, that's actually kind of one of my things is I say I I, I hope that most people listen to my music will have a hard time giving it a genre because then I know that I'm pushing the envelope. Wow,
0: that's pretty awesome. Thanks. Yeah, when's that going to get released?
1: Um, I actually just finished exporting the stems from Ableton and I'm going to be bring, um, taking them into Logic uh, as soon as we get done with this call.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So I would
1: say within like a week or so is when I'm probably going to end up sending it over to Vespers and he says he's going to do the master on it. So, um, right. I don't know. I don't know if it'll actually get, um, formally released, but, uh, you know, what he was telling me, uh, when he heard my work in progress so far, is like, yeah, finish it up as soon as you can. I want to play it on my festival circuit. So I was like,
0: yes, <laughs> dude, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So
0: now tell us some of your favorite production tips.
1: Um, layering. I mean, obviously, everybody says that, but um, I think that layering has has not been given a thorough enough treatment on all the different ways that it's important. Um, a lot of people focus on the layering of of percussion samples, which is it is indeed important. But what has made my um, like bases and leads and everything as as rich as they are is layering synths. So um, you know, I'll take uh, I'll go to the, specifically to the effort of trying to find. Um, two or three different um, kinds of synthesis, and then blending the sounds from those three synthesizers into one cohesive sound, mostly separating them out in their own separate frequency ranges, um, and then using a, using a macro-controlled um, instrument rack in Ableton Live to set up the crossovers for each of those instruments in a, in, a, in a chain. So I can go in there and say, okay, well, I want more of the low-end instrument and then by turning one knob, it, it's basically crossing over and and getting more of the high end of the low instrument and then getting less of the low end of the high instrument all in one knob turn.
0: Jeez, um, that's crazy.
1: But very yeah, well, cool. Actually, like it sounds crazy, but once you've set it up, it's so simple to use. And I think that that's why it's one of the one of the key techniques is is once you've really set up a template that allows you to access all this stuff. You can just start dropping random synths in there and just going through your presets and seeing what sounds cool, and then then adjusting everything to get the the, the sound really dialed in. But I've got my production template has probably I mean I put at least sixty hours of work into the template alone without any actual like instruments in it. Right. When I load up an template, there's no instruments loaded, but there's all kinds of effects racks and uh, like processing chains and and like routing for different sounds to go through different stuff. So um, that's that's a huge pointer right there. Is a, getting a template that you that you know well and that you that has a lot of capabilities so that you can just start dropping stuff in right away and then be you know get good sounds out of it right away to make sure you stay in that creative
0: zone. Right. That's really cool, man. That's a hell of a template you got there. Yeah. And it's gone
1: through <laughs> revisions too. in fact, the one that I'm using right now is um, is it's quite a bit updated from the one that I put out on my YouTube tutorial videos. But um, I need to make a new one that covers all the new features and everything. Uh, so. <laughs> That'll happen at some point here. Uh, once this EP is out and, and the, the remix is done uh, for Vespers, I'll actually fi- finally be done with all the work on the music stuff that I can begin focusing a little more on the um, sort of the music education and the, and the promotion aspect of uh, music. It's, 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 you can't ever be doing both at once. It's They're kind of di- different states of mind. Yeah, I think.
0: yeah, yeah. And I, I do want to talk more about that because you do have videos and stuff that's very cool. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. Sure. But um, what about soft synth? What's your favorite soft synth?
1: Um, oh man, there's so many, uh, I, I can't really say that I have a favorite, uh, though I really, it's very rare for me to not feature Razor in a track. Really? I, I don't know if you've ever used it, but it's a, it's a Razor is a, um, a specific um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of, of Reactor, which is a Native Instruments um, synthesis environment. Essentially, it's a it's it's a it's a way you can build your own plugins. Essentially, okay. and I, this is one of their own official uh, build your own plugin kind of things. Sort of a demonstration of what Reactor is capable of. Um, it, its closest analog is uh, like um, Max for Live in Ableton right. Live. It, it allows you to basically build a synthesizer from all of the parts. Uh, yourself and so and and, you know to a certain degree a lot especially with some of the more um, sort of community supported ones you can go in there and modify it if there's a specific knob that it doesn't have that you really wish it had you can go in there and do it yourself yeah plus there's thousands plus there's (laughs)
0: thousands of already pre-made ones from the community
1: Yep, absolutely. So, but in particular, I really, really enjoy the the textures that come out of Razor. Um, it's an additive synthesis, um, which, considering how very, very popular subtractive synthesis always has been, um, additive synthesis just gives, um, I think, a little more unique flavor. Uh, and so, it, it's never the only synthesizer I'm using, but it's I use it consistently to generate a more. Um, nuanced sound than what mo- what most of the time you'll end up hearing from your, you know, standard generic neighborhood dubstep DJ.
0: <laughs> right. Right. No, a couple of guys have used razor. They talk about it on the show. I personally haven't, but I got to get my hands on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really dying to hear how it sounds. It's uh you know, it sounds like a
1: lot of different things. I mean, it's not so much that, that, it, it, that it sounds drastically different. Um, in, in any way in particular, it's just that I think that it does a really great job of um, achieving some of the like gritty harmonic kind of stuff. That uh, when you're using subtractive synthesis, you end up kind of um, shaving some of that kind of stuff off using your filter cutoff stuff. Yeah, and with additive synthesis, you're only putting the parts into the sound that you want I as see. opposed to subtracting the parts out that you don't, huh? So, um, you y- y- Obviously, there's, it's, that, it's more complex complex than just that, but uh, that's part of it. But I'll layer like additive synthesis uh, from Razer in with... Uh, I'll use um, either FM8, which is a, a FM synthesizer from uh, Native Instruments, or I might use um, Operator, which is an FM synthesizer that, that's built in Ableton Live right. um, <clears throat> for, for an F- FM synthesis p- part. And then I might use subtractive synthesis for the third uh, layer. And I put them all three together with crossovers and they're different to sort of separate them off into their own little um, parts of the sonic frequency range and, uh, and then have them all three playing the same from the same set of MIDI
0: notes. Um, no wonder you're maxing out your CPU. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. So that's
1: one, <laughs> that's like one channel. I've got three synths loaded into one channel right. and I've got maybe 20 to 30 different channels. So yeah, exactly. yeah, like I said, it's a beast machine, but at some point yeah. gets <laughs> loaded. So,
0: Um, how about effects? What kind of effects do you really like? And are you
1: using like, Uh, um, I'm really a big fan of trying to get the, the most out of the simple stuff. So there's actually a lot of really great effects plugins that are built into Ableton. Um, especially with the fact that I'm using max for live for a lot of things. And so, uh, they've got a convolution reverb. That's just fantastic. You can pretty much make it sound like any kind of reverb reverb space that you want because convolution reverbs are, are, modeling, the the sound of of a of a space based on an input signal that you give it. So you say you take a sampled clap that was inside a certain theater or in like uh, one of my favorite ones is uh, um, a, a rack that I got a while ago from um, Afro DJ Mac. He went out into a redwood forest and clapped hmm. and recorded the reverb response from that. And if you put that on, um like a lot, especially like organic kind of drums, you want it to sound like you're in like a, like a forest, like a drum circle kind of thing. Like it just makes this really, really rich, um, you know, obviously it's really subtle. You couldn't necessarily name that that's where it came from, but right. when you listen to it, it sounds like you're, you know, sitting in a forest. Cause what you're actually hearing is the sound of that bouncing off of all the little leaves on those trees and, and, you know, the, like the rocks and the, you know, <laughs> it, it's obviously you don't get, all of those individual little parts, but that's the vibe you get. It's the right. feel It um, right. So reverb is important, obviously. Effects-wise, um, I don't know. There's... I think more important than the effect itself is knowing how to modulate it uh, in a strategic way. So figuring out a way to, to modulate a bunch of effects that you have in a chain on a macro that's, that's going along with some of the modulation that you're putting on the synthesizer itself so that the effects evolve in the same sort of fashion that whatever it is that you're doing to the synth does so say you've got your synth that's, that's wobbling on an lfo you tie all of those other um effects in some of their parameters in that same lfo um to various different degrees and various different amounts uh in different directions and stuff but but you're achieving a much more intricate
0: sound by doing that yeah oh, well, that, from, what you're, from what you're saying it sounds like itself. you really need to know your plugins inside and out
1: yeah yeah or at least to, to know the key um parameters that you might tweak yeah there are there are some effects that um like uh, plugins that have all kinds of effects capabilities but i only ever use one or two of them and keep the other ones turned off because those are the ones i'm familiar with and i know what i can get out of them and when i load them in those are you know pretty much i load it in macro the knobs out and then close it and then never have to open it again. So that's the macro feature is one of the reasons that that's kept me using Ableton for right. such a long time in, um, uh, my initial production software. Um, and it's actually what's, what's making Bitwig a big contender for my next one because their, their macros uh, capabilities are beginning to make Ableton's macro capabilities look a little uh, toy-like yeah. Uh, that Yeah, is really, really off the charts. Macro capable, so
0: wow! And I love Bitwig's automation. You could see the LFOs moving. The knobs are actually turning, and it's yep. so cool to watch that. Mm. I mean, it, it's just not because it's like cool, fun to look at. It's like it shows you really what's happening. You know?
1: Yep. Yeah, the visual feedback is really important. Um, I, I I think that uh, one of my favorite plugins is uh, is actually not so much its effect. Uh, on, the, on the music itself, but m- its effect on my ability to perceive the music. Uh, y- of course, isotope um, uh, ozone is what I use for my mastering, but I think the most important part of it is that a feature that most people don't even use, and that's when you pull up this separate portion of it that actually will show you a real-time three-dimensional um, spectrogram and you, and then you can actually tie all the different colors of the spectrogram in with the different instruments you have playing, and you can watch them overlap with each other so you can visually see when you have conflicting frequencies. Wow. And so if you're hearing mud in your mix and you don't know where it's coming from, you just throw that in there, and then you can just say, oh, well, there you go. That bass line is overlapping with the low end on that lead. I didn't realize I hadn't done a low pass on the lead. Right. You know, it's, it, And having stuff like that visual feedback to let the the producer know um, what's really going on with other senses besides just your ears. Because when you've been sitting in the studio chair for a day, your ears start getting fatigued. You don't necessarily hear every little thing. Having stuff like that allows a supplement where you can get more info um, and, and continue working.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very valuable tool. I haven't used it much personally, but I could see how it can be used now, where do you go to personally learn and improve your own EDM production skills?
1: Uh, well, as I mentioned, um, I, I take courses. Um, I took a lot of courses um, earlier in my production career from uh, it, at the time, Vespers was on his own. He was uh, doing his own um, courses and things. and then he founded Warp Academy, I think it was about a year ago, uh, with a few other uh, very high-end uh, producers and uh, like sound designers. Um, I think one of the guys in the team is pretty much um, like a like a mastering engineer kind of uh, person where he, like he does that as his career. So, um, I, and then basically once I learned enough from them that I felt like okay, I can continue developing my skills based on what I know and and kind of the direction I wanted to go. Um, I haven't taken any classes or so in the last year, but that was the school I went to. And, and anyone who's thinking about, you know, dropping a little bit of money into their education, uh, ought to go uh, look at their stuff because, um, unlike a lot of the production schools, like, um, um, What's that one? uh spot, you know, where you actually have to be physically sitting in the in the place. So not only do you have to spend thousands of dollars on the class itself, but you have to also figure out a way to house yourself in New York City or L.A. for a week. You know, that that just the travel and the accommodations would be, you know, just as much as the course itself. So I think the fact that these courses are offered online, but they're also still interactive um, really makes them a very um, hot contender for anybody who's considering putting money
0: into their education. Wow. Wow. Definitely got to check it out. I'm actually on their website now. It looks very cool.
1: Yeah. It's very, very professional. And, and, um, you know, especially in the interactive portions of these things, you know, when you ask a question, you get a very thorough answer and it's, it's by people who are very, very enthusiastic about what they're doing. Um, you know, I, I, I recommend it to anybody. It's it, they're fantastic people to work with.
0: Now, when you say it's interactive, how is that?
1: So they'll have um, they're like basically webinars. So uh, gotcha. they'll, they'll they'll book a class, um, and there'll be maybe. You know, between twenty and maybe fifty people in the class. And then like during the webinar, they'll have um, a demonstration portion where they're you know they're they're doing like an hour's worth of of showing you stuff. And then the rest of the time it's basically like, we'll field your questions now. And not only will they actually just answer the question, in speech, but they'll demonstrate on the screen what it is that you're asking about. And, and, uh, and then of course those, um, those are all recorded and then they send out the links to download those videos to anybody that's taken the course. So, um, makes it so that, you know, any questions that you had, you'll get them specifically answered to the way that you asked the question and you get a record of it. You can keep in your archives in case you forget how to do it in the future.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: I've kept all the videos that, that, uh, that I took from, from, uh, when I was studying under Vespers and, and like I'll, I will consistently go back to them, um, when I feel like I'm getting stuck on
0: some point and, right. you know, see, all right, how did he handle that? That one thing. So, wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Now, who were your influences got you interested in this type of music?
1: Um, well, let's see. uh, Electronic music in general. Um, and I started listening to like you know the Prodigy and and uh, the Crystal Method and uh, you know the bands that were really kind of um, the sort of the pioneers of the electronic music movement in the U.S. back in like the the '90s. Uh, I was listening to it at that time. I didn't really have any interest in producing it primarily because I didn't think I could. I thought that you had to like you know go to a studio and to do it just like every uh, and at the time that was a little more true than it is today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: but, um, I guess I never was aware, even as like in the mid two thousands where things actually became really accessible. Um, it was around, I think summer of 08, I went to my first music festival. Um, this was back when EDC was actually throwing events in Denver. Um, so they were doing them in LA and Denver and now they've kind of consolidated those ones into the one in Las Vegas. Right. Uh, but I went to the one here in Denver and it completely just blew my mind. I'd never <laughs> been to anything like it before and I, I I was just awestruck for like a good week afterwards. I couldn't even like... You know when you have an overpowering emotional response to something you can't even describe how it's how you feel about it. It's things it yeah. like that, you know? But well, what, uh,
0: what, what really struck you about it? What left an impression? How... Um,
1: I think it was the unifying factor, man. Just that many people all attending this this festival where the music was the most important part and I've been to I've been to a few festivals. Like you know, um, there was a there was a thing they used to do in Denver at the um, at the old Mile High Stadium before they tore it down to build a new one, and it was called the Area One Festival, put on by a local radio station. They had lots of different acts, and Moby was there one time, and, but it was lots of different styles, and and it really never felt unified. Right. Um, and the other thing is that I feel like when there's a lot of lyrics in music, um, and most of the artists that are that are performing are are they're featuring lyrics, that tends to bring a Crowd that's mostly there for the emotional connection that they feel to the the lyrics, and you know that I think is what drives mainstream radio is, is not so much the music as it is the message of the music and it's in you know whatever it is that they've embedded in the lyrics or the you know the however clever it is you know and I'll give props to people like Eminem for having a you know very clever writing style and, and, and things and I've listened to I mean I I love a lot of music that has lyrics in it um, but that being said. what what really gets me jazzed about electronic music is the fact that the only thing that makes it important is how powerful the music itself is and there's no you know and maybe you got like vocal samples here and there to to sort of like add things in and and the ep that i'm um that's that's coming out this week it you know features a lot of um just little, little like snippets from from news and and interviews and stuff like that but um the more important part is how the music makes you feel right. and that was that experience at EDC Denver in 08 was the first time that I ever been to something where i felt like the music itself was the only thing that was necessary to carry me to this this euphoric state of mind and i thought man you know at the time i spent all my time geeking around just on computer stuff just doing computer stuff seeing what i could make my computer do not even realizing that i could be doing something with that that would also be interesting to other people right Um, and so you know within a week i you know i was i had taken the laptop i installed whatever music software i could get my hands on at the time and and just started fooling around with stuff making the 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 crappiest quality stuff that i can even (laughs) i mean now that I look back at it, I'm like, oh God, like nothing was EQ'd at all. Not right. a single instrument. I didn't even know what an EQ was. <laughs> I <laughs> hope that none of that ever surfaces.
0: And <laughs> hey, we but, all uh, start there though.
1: Yeah. It's, I, and I'm, and I'm glad that it, I'm glad that I did. Cause you know, it, it, uh, it the, the fact that it was so powerful and it caused me to start doing whatever I could to produce right then and there, that, that, that feeling has carried over to, and, and it continues to be the, the driving force behind where I am now. So wow. obviously I wanted to start any other way, but it's right. just kind of funny to look back on it now. I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course. How many people were there in 2008? Uh, at the festival? Yeah. How um, big was it?
1: You know, I don't really remember how many exactly. I think it was probably somewhere in the double digits, thousand, like maybe like low double digits, like maybe 10 or 12,000 or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Not a big festival, but it was the biggest thing I'd ever been to. Sure. And and more importantly than the size was the fact that, you know, even though there are lots of people there, I've been to big events with lots of people, but with everybody having different kind of things on their mind, wanting to do different things. This was the first time that I felt unified with that many people at once. It was a very sort of, um, an awakening, I guess.
0: I see. That's really awesome. Who do you like right now? Who do you think is doing really well in the the scene?
1: Um, I mentioned earlier that the sort of the, um, Northwest coast kind of stuff is really, is really kind of caught my ear recently. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard a future primitive, um, I'm a huge fan of his he's a he's a great producer and a really really great guy mm-hmm. um the couple times I've had a chance to just hang out with him like you know when you meet someone who who has uh you know what we consider to be relative fame most of the time, they, f- they feel kind of disconnected, and they never feel like they're really involved in the conversation, or you know, they're constantly being distracted by things, especially if you meet them at a show and you're conversing. I spoke with him backstage when I opened for him a, f- a few, I was probably about a year ago, and I, legitimately, he's looked me in the eyes and focused on our conversation for like 45 minutes. And like <laughs> other people try to come up and talk to him, and he's like, not now. <laughs> so um, it's when I meet people like that who are good musicians, but they're also really, really good people who what you would want to be friends with, not because they're famous musicians, but because they're good people. Those are, you know, those are the true gems, I think. So, you know, I, (laughs) I wish that other famous artists could learn from him, like how to, how to interact with fans. And, and, uh, (laughs) uh, because honestly, I felt, I felt so, um, fulfilled by that conversation anyway, wow. anyway the, uh, and then other ones like him like bird of prey um is a little a little more uh uh like down tempo like not quite as aggressive as some of his sounds but sort of in the same sort of vein uh very organic on the on the sound a lot of use of a lot of samples um and a lot of granular synthesis to to sort of um evoke the the natural uh, you know cuz a lot of electronic music does nothing in it sounds remotely real and then by utilizing real samples and putting them through granular synthesis you you retain some of the texture of real life sounds while still giving it that sort of distorted you know not quite real sound yeah
0: yes yeah i hear what you're saying
1: um yeah i mean and it and it's i can't ever give the producers that I, I think that are doing the best thing right now without thinking like in five minutes, I'm going to hear another one that I'm going to be like, Oh, I should mission that one. So
0: yeah, right. now <laughs> I go to uh, there's
1: a lot of really good ones that are, that are producing, um, especially like, I don't know if you've heard of the electro soul, um, style of music. That's really caught my ear recently. Um, like the Mar- mm. Marvel years this is a, a big artist. I've been following, um, electrics, um, Crooked Drivers is a is a group from Denver that's doing real good with that stuff. Yeah, uh, we,
0: we've had a couple guys on that do that too. Yeah, I can't remember who who did. Um, um, that's that's cool stuff. Yeah,
1: and it's, and it's kind of like I think that that style is somewhat of an offshoot of sort of like the Pretty Lights kind of style I mean, mm-hmm. taking the taking the the soul and the hip hop kind of stuff, and then you know shifting it electronic. Uh, the ones that I like most are the ones that have shifted it even further and have have really added the extra grit to it um you know i like pretty lights i like seeing him live I don't, I don't think i'll listen to most of his stuff recorded at home just because it doesn't really grab me the same way but
0: that's cool that you've seen him live yes
1: yep saw so him at red rocks a few years ago and it was great you know you i don't know if you've ever been to a to um red rocks but it, it's a beautiful beautiful venue and um in the middle of his set it started raining like hard hmm. and i i don't think a single person in that entire place gave any care at all about the fact that it was raining. <laughs> I looked around and not a single person had left. We just kept dancing and it was raining so hard and everybody's just getting soaking wet and it did not matter at all. Wow! And like just being in that, in the zone where everything is, it doesn't matter what the environment is doing around you right then, because that, that doesn't affect you the same way that the music does. So right. that's, that's the power that I'm, that I'm trying to, you know sort of jack into is that you know get into people's hearts so so um to get integrated so so much into the emotional aspect of it that that the you know kind of everything else melts away
0: that's that's a cool purpose man i love it and what what would you say is the highlight of your career thus far um man
1: Uh, hmm I don't know. I've, I've opened it for some pretty big acts, uh, and I, I felt like I've, I've done a you know a good job at it. Uh, I think as far as the highlight, though, was when I finally um, transitioned to from being just a DJ uh, to actually doing live production stuff. So uh, within, I think it's been a little over a year now that I've actually been using my guitar in my sets. So um, I have a, an electric guitar that runs in through a specialized device that has... Um, it's like two components. One of them is a sound card. So it takes the analog sound from the guitar, runs it into Ableton. I do processing in Ableton uh, using like guitar rig. Um, and then the other part of it is, is actually using uh, pitch tracking to uh, uh, send MIDI signal to Ableton as well. That basically plays the same notes that I'm playing on the guitar. So wow. if one, and then I've set up a, an instrument rack in Ableton that Half of it is the analog signal from the guitar, making classic analog guitar rock kind of sounds. The other half of it is a, you know, sort of guitar-oriented electronic synthesizer aspect of it. And I've set them up to kind of play with each other in the stereo field. And, um, you know, a little bit of reverb from one bleeds into the other channel and vice versa. So I set it up so that really there's no way to tell one sound from the other necessarily. You can yeah. tell that it's like it's it's like a, a guitar and a synthesizer had a baby and, and there's really no no line drawing separation between the two. But then I've got an you know, iPod touch that's mounted on the guitar that I can crossfade back and forth between those different elements. So if I reach a part of the song where I feel like the analog guitar would tell a better you know, representation of the sound I'm trying to convey right then, I'll just kind of crossfade to just that. Or if I, you know, reach a part where, you know, this part just needs a really grimy bass line or whatever, I'll just switch to that and then use that guitar for that part. So... Um, that's
0: really cool, man. I love how you have that, an iPod touch on there that you could use as like a little slider on it. That's awesome.
1: It's kind of hackish though. Like it's uh, what's holding it on there is like Velcro straps and stuff. It's really, it's really, uh, um, very thrown together. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to have, um, I actually helped fund a Kickstarter campaign for, um, uh, this product called the guitar wing, which is uh, just shipping like now, I think, um, it's uh, made by Livid Instruments. They mm-hmm. developed a, a few years ago. They developed a guitar that w- that had a bunch of MIDI. Um, buttons and sliders and stuff built into it, but Indeed. it was, you know, it was, it was custom it was a one-off and, and right. I th- they made they may have sold a few of them, but they're really expensive. They basically took the same concept of having buttons and sliders that are right there at your fingertips, right? Like where the pick guard would be on the guitar. And they took it and basically made a prosthetic that you could slip over the bottom horn on an electric guitar. And then it connects Bluetooth to your laptop. And then you can basically use the buttons right there with your picking hand to, then you know broadcast extra modulation information to the computer about what you wanted to do with the the, the uh, signal that you're sending it from the guitar so um, I'm really looking forward to having that come in because it'll be a much more <laughs> um, I, I guess designed rather than sort of thrown together solution
0: and i, I you know I couldn't help i was I just pulled up some pictures of it. I had to see what this thing looked like. Very cool. And it could fit on any guitar. Yeah, pretty much.
1: I mean, I don't think it could fit on an acoustic because Not it's got acoustic, it thin right. enough for it to clamp on. But yeah.
0: I love it, dude. Oh, let me know how that turns out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the thing I'm concerned about at this
1: point is that it looks like it has to ha- use its own little USB dongle. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm already using one for the guitar, one for right. my sound. Card, and that's <laughs> the only ones you get in a MacBook Pro. So
0: oh, I'm like, man. Oh, I'm
1: going to have to get a USB hub. That has power on its own, and I would find another outlet to plug into. uh, First world problems.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's getting a little complex. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So uh, let's talk about marketing. What what have you found is the most effective way to market your music? Um, Make good music. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: obviously have it available to people and do a little bit of of sort of thinking ahead of how you, like, how you want to get a hold of people and how you want to ha- retain them as fans so I've set it up so when people want to download my music when they've heard a track that they really like, instead of just letting them download it off my SoundCloud and they've got it now and that's it I have it set up so that they um, have to put in their name and email address. And then as soon as they do that, they get an email directly from my email account that says, hey, thanks for signing up. Here's the link to download the track. And I will not ever email you unless I have something really important to tell you about, like a new release or something, or if I'm playing a show in your area. So um, they, uh, you know, I would say only maybe... Two or three percent of the people who have signed up on my list um, have given me, like, obviously fake info. Um, You know, probably, first of all, because uh, it requires the email address for them to get it. So I know that they're good email addresses. uh, But, you know, there's only been a few of them that have put in, like, Mickey Mouse or whatever is their name. I don't even care if they do that because I still got their email address. And so, (laughs) what's important there is that knowing that the people who have expressed interest in my stuff before, that I can easily get a hold of them again when I have something important to To get out to them, so as soon as the CP drops, um, my this will be the first time that I've ever used the email addresses that I have to tell them all about something that I have coming well, out. It's, no, it, you're building a mailing like,
0: list. That's the way you like, make money. That's the way you make money online. That's a smart thing to do.
1: Right, right, and uh, you know, and email transcends all the social media stuff. You don't have to f- yeah. pay f- Facebook twenty dollars just to make sure that your email list gets them, you know, you, you have an email address as long as you, you know, aren't sending it all from your own personal inbox and you use like an an email service, like MailChimp or something like that to send it out. Then you know that it's actually going to all get out there without your account getting flagged for spam
0: or something. Exactly. Exactly. What's the best piece of advice you could give to an aspiring producer right now?
1: Okay. Um, don't get obsessed with trying to get your hands on everything you can. Um, I think I've wasted more time, uh, maybe not than making music, but a lot of time I've spent wasting just trying to find plugin lo- like just all these different kinds of plugins. A lot of them I never even used. Um, you know, huge sample library. I, I mean, if if you have a specific project you have coming up that you really w- want to make sure you've got all the samples for, then yeah, I get into that. But um, you know, try not to be too much of a hoarder. It's really easy to get your hands on, on way too much stuff. And the problem is that if you have too many options, that's the same thing as having no options because you'll never be able to decide what to go with. So, um, for a new producer who is just getting started now, find a piece of, uh, find your DAW, find one that is used pretty widely, or you feel like, um, you know, appeals very much to your personal, um, sort of workflow mindset, and, and stick with it. You know, uh, The only reason I started using two DAWs is because I was so familiar with one already that I thought, okay, it's not too much of a burden to take on a second one. But um, if you switch around too much, you're never going to get good at anything. So um, at first, use one DAW. If you get Ableton Live, um, you know, spend the extra money on the suite edition to make sure you get all the plugins that come with it. Because if you get just Ableton Live Suite and that's all you had and you got all of the libraries that come with Suite – that is all you would need to make a kick-ass album like Bass Nectar style, and, right? Uh, because it, the, I mean, the the libraries that come with Ableton Live Suite are like 50 gigabytes. It's ridiculous how much you get from just that. So if you're going to spend money on something, do it right. Find something that has a, a very, um, you know, impressive offering where you can have it all in one package, um, and uh, and and stick with that until you actually feel like you're running out of. Um, where your creativity is exceeding the, the limits of your, uh, um, of your medium.
0: Right. And you start right. getting
1: more stuff If that could go back and change anything in particular. It would be that the order in which I pursued things. I, 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 I pursued all kinds of avenues that never panned out in anything because I either didn't get the workflow for it or just didn't like the way that it sounded after I'd worked on it for a while. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I can get as much out of this as I can get out of the other thing. I already know how to use. I mean, um, People give a lot of uh, a lot of grief at people for using massive, but it is still a totally valid uh, VST to use in 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 all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, it's not just dubstep. I've I've heard make people make beautiful super, super saws with it. You know that that oh oh no, you're you're gonna need silence for that. Well,
0: hmm.
1: lots of people say that any one particular VST is going to be only useful for one particular thing, and if you buy into that mindset, you will end up having all kinds of VSTs. You only know how to use one little. One or right, two about it. Right. That's kind of one of my problems now is I have all kinds of things that I know a little bit about. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't pay much to be a Renaissance man of VSTs. I think that <laughs> you can get like two or three of them that you really know inside and out. You'll be able to get way more out of them than if you've got a bunch that are just kind of like, well, I don't know, I'm kind of curious about it, but I haven't had enough time to look into it. So.
0: Right. Right. Well, like, you know, I'm probably going to have that edited out of the show about when my cat what my my cat did earlier but it actually comes back to that for this point and that's it's it's almost going to be impossible for people not to start examining every vst on the market because Mm -hmm. musicians are like cats with vsts they want to just look at everyone check it out and see what it does and oh it's got pretty controls it looks that looks like an equalizer i used to use and like man it's it's tough and that's you know it's almost part of the fun as a producer, to just play with the new toys. But Absolutely. you're right. When, when, when you got to focus and get to work, you almost never use any of them. You're just using right. the doll you love, the tools that you know, and I'm with you, man. It's You just gave some great advice there.
1: Now, There's something to be said for when you're talking about if you're in experimentation mode, and I, I don't know, some producers may or may not have this, but I know I have different states of mind that I can be in. There are times when I'm musically motivated. I need to make music right now. And there are other times where my creative... Um, urges go more towards I want to make the weirdest, most intricate sounds that I can make right now. Not in any particular, I'm not trying to make a, uh, a song out of it, but I'd like to, you know, there was a time a little while ago where I was like, I really wonder if I can synthesize the sound of a turret gun with a big servo motor turning and the thing like locking into place as it <laughs> locked onto target. And I did. Uh, and it took me like, you know, a day to like throw everything together, put it through all the right processes and everything, but I learned how to do it and I think if you intentionally segment your time and say, "All right, there are time, there are days that I'm going to devote to this, where all I'm going to do is sound design, and I'm not going to touch a MIDI sequence because I don't want to make music, I want to make sounds." Right. Then if you can save those sounds either as presets or as um, sample libraries or whatever, you you know start building up an arsenal of your own personal customized sounds. That's a good portion of how you come up with your own signature sound is having things that you've built from scratch that are so good that you can use them multiple times in different tracks and still get good um, uh, diversity out of it
0: yeah yeah
1: there's something to be said for experimentation you shouldn't just settle into one thing and only do that i mean there are artists that have done that and i you know got into them for a couple months and then decided oh they're never gonna make a song that intrigues me again because they. (laughs) that's true
0: so it's true Uh, i hate you know i'm definitely not gonna name any names but it's happened to me too (laughs) or where where i hear that from some guys that i really liked and i'm like okay i I can't keep liking that same chord progression you know yeah yeah so do you dj
1: um well, so the the obviously everyone knows DJ stands for disc jockey. Um, you know, I, I have a pair of CDJs, but I've never used them to play out live. I pretty much got them so that I would know how to do it in, in case of emergency. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm getting ready to sell them. So, uh, but, but I felt like DJing has such so many limitations in terms of what you can do. Um, to make the experience more memorable for the, for the audience. You know, it feels like everybody's a DJ these days and, and it really doesn't make any difference whether you're using a laptop and a controller, uh, CDJs or a straight 1200s, uh, you know, any of this stuff, all you're using is pre-recorded material and um, relying on your ability as a turntablist uh, to to come up with all of the creativity aspect of it. Um, you know, and, and I feel like musicianship, ought to take more than just that. Um, and when mm-hmm. I started feeling like I was getting bored on stage, that's where I felt like I needed to push myself more. So I went into the live PA side of things, started using Ableton Live to sort of um, be the source of the sound, but I'm triggering samples in real time, and I'm playing a live instrument through Ableton Live and putting effects in, into the live instrumentation that are that are synchronized with the BPM of the track. So even if I decide, oh, that BPM is one or two... BPM too fast for the dance floor right now. I can slow it down a little bit, but everything stays in time. And, you know, a lot of traditional DJs will, you know, look down their nose at anything that is automatically synchronized to a tempo. But I think that technology marches on regardless of what anybody thinks of it. And, right. in, and the time for people to be snobs about that is done um Hmm. you know the the, it's time for people to embrace the technology and try to figure out what they can do with it to make their sets more impressive more memorable make people wake up the next morning and go what the hell did i just see last night i don't even understand what just happened you know
0: um what do people do when you pull out the guitar
1: um i've had a lot of people go like well you know they they do the whole like you can see their face melting (laughs) from away (laughs) away uh but uh you know, for the most part, I seem to get pretty good, um, pretty good reactions from it. I've had a, a couple people who are like, man, what, what are you trying to be, a rock star or something? You know, And I'm like, look, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to use the instruments that I know how to play to try to make this a better experience for everybody listening to it. And I think that to a degree, when you bring the analog instrumentation in that has its own little imperfections and, and sort of uh, uh, nuanced stuff, um, that, that makes the music so much more connectable. People, people, mm. people connect so well, much more with a person who's playing a real instrument than somebody who's just up there pressing buttons. They don't know what those buttons do. You might be playing solitaire, fully, all you know. <laughs> so um, th- that's that's kind of why I wanted to do that is is to you know maintain the musicianship, the the, the musical, so sort of the artistic integrity is, is a phrase I like to use a lot uh, because uh, you know if you're not challenging yourself, what's the point? Yeah, you know. Um, I say, I say, if I don't do something daring enough to po- like possibly end up screwing me up in every set then I'm not trying enough things.
0: That's so. true. It's true. That's hard to confront though. I mean, you get to a nice comfortable spot where, you know, everything front and back. If you want to start getting ex- yeah. like, you know, playing some live stuff and f- the fear of screwing up. Yeah. That might be enough to discourage some people, but it's yeah, worth it. It might it's depend on the it.
1: venue. Like if I was playing yeah. at red rocks or something, I might, you know, <laughs> I might not be quite so daring, but, uh, <laughs> right, you know, right, one right. thing about Colorado is that I, I think a lot of the fans are very forgiving and they, they respect the fact that I'm trying to push the envelope. So even if I do screw up, um, you know, first of all, I move, move past it really quick. I don't like, you know, like turn everything down and get on the mic and be like, Oh guys, I screwed that up. Did you hear her? <laughs> 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 So, you know, I just try to keep going and, and get through it. But um, but I, I think that that's part of making the experience of being a club goer or, or being a, a festival attendee, um, worth it. You know, it costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time to be a fan. And I think that I owe it to anybody who comes to one of my shows to do everything I can to blow their minds. Yeah. And if I'm not, then, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting, I'm shortchanging them.
0: Good point, man. I like that. Thanks. You got your exchange, your exchanges in with the fans.
1: Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, and, I hope that by being involved with, uh, you know, in the conversation with all these fans, uh, you know, when they, when they give me feedback and stuff, that it allows them to help kind of like blow my mind in, in some ways, like, oh, I didn't even think of that. I ought to try to some, do something else, you know, the whole idea yeah. of, using uh, I use ipads to control ableton uh while i'm doing these sets and the whole idea of doing that kind of came about as a result of uh, i had a set when i first got into it where my eq is a little off and uh, i had a fan come up to me afterwards and be like oh yeah your trouble was a little high i thought man if i'd been able to like get out from behind the decks and just kind of like see what was going on while that was then i would have heard it and i could have adjusted for it so i started using the iPads and now I'm never really just behind the decks anymore. I'm either like moving around on the stage, or I'll even like even sometimes the fact that they're wireless. I mean, I've gone out on the dance floor and danced with the the, the people there for the show <laughs> while still playing and triggering samples and stuff. It's uh, wow. So you know, I think that fan feedback is really important to that. So you know, I try to blow their minds, and they try to make sure that I, you know that they tell me everything that they can that they think would make um, anything that I'm doing better.
0: So, right. Awesome, man. I love it. So do you have anything in your studio, like hardware, that you just love, you'd like to talk about?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I mentioned the iPads. Um, I, I like using them uh, not only for the um, you know live on the stage kind of stuff, but they're really fantastic for use in the studio. Um, there's, an, there's a free app for use with Logic, so I use that for my mixing and mastering. And then there's an app that I uh, paid for a little while ago uh, called Touchable that I use for controlling Ableton Live. Um, and it gives you really... Integrated control of that stuff, so I wouldn't necessarily call it hardware. It's more like um, just really efficient uh, workflow um, m- sort of enablers, right? Yeah. Uh, then, as far as hardware goes, um, I have a, like uh, you know, sound card is really important. Got to have a, a sound card that, that is that is high quality, especially if you're doing recording stuff. You want to be able to get a good sample rate to you know, so if you're going to stretch it around, that you won't get a lot of artifacts. Um, what are you using? Uh, Well, up until recently, I was using um, an Edderall FA-101, which is a firewire-powered card. Uh, It goes all the way up to 192 um, kilohertz sample rate, which is just ridiculous. Like, it's off the end of the spectrum. I would never actually record at that. (laughs) Um, right. But it died uh, a painful death recently. It, like woke me up in the middle of the night. I, I thought that my apartment building was being strafed by some like warplane, uh, but it was actually just the sound that my sound card makes when it dies while plugged into a big speaker system. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm uh, currently using the, the sound card that I use for DJing out in the studio. Uh, so I'm hoping to find a, a good deal on like a Focusrite or um, or. Something like that. Uh, what
0: sound card do you use playing out? Just like a. Uh, it's just a. It's a. It's a
1: Native Instruments. Uh, I think this is like it's one of the ones that's like um, out really out of date. It's not uh, the
0: Audio Control One.
1: This is um. It's it's one of the ones that was originally designed for um for uh, control vinyl and control CDJs. got
0: uh, gotcha, gotcha.
1: Uh, but I mean, the sample rate on it goes up to ninety-six kilohertz, which is which is good. And the fact that it's outboard means that my computer isn't having to do any of that load on yeah. its own so that's good too um I, I just don't like the fact that it doesn't have as many different um, inputs and outputs uh the the one i was using before has the, the the two inputs that i use the most are actually hybrid ports that would expect either uh, quarter inch or um xlr and it yeah. had uh the um Phantom power as well. So like for using my studio microphone and, and other things, uh, that was a really great sound card. And I, I, got it used after it was already discontinued. So I got a great price on it. And I'm like, now I'm going to have to hard, I don't have a hard time finding anything remotely that good for that kind of price. What are you looking to get? Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the Motus, um, you know i actually got my dad into producing a little bit a little while ago uh, he's a, he's a, a, p- a really great pianist and and uh, so i set him up with logic and um and sort of the i think i oh yeah i gave him um you ever heard of uh, the giant native instruments has a has a um a library called the giant for uh, for the contact um plugin and oh, it's, it's, a, it's huge piano. a really really amazing like grand piano that has like two two different modes it's got the uh, anyway we're getting we're getting too far off the hardware track here but mm-hmm. Um, though, I guess the one thing I wanted to mention, uh, that, uh, uh, we haven't talked about yet is the headphones, um, getting a good st- pair of studio headphones is, is a, is a really key. Um, you want to have your, your monitors be, uh, you know, set up at the right angles and stuff like that. And I, I actually have a subwoofer that I can turn on and off with a push of a switch. So most of the time I produce without it, but I want to make if I want to make sure that the sub bass is actually hitting the right way, I'll turn the sub on to make sure that it sounds good. Um, but then the headphones are important too because we want to be able to make sure that you're getting your stereo stuff sounding really good. If you want to, you know, hear something that they, a sound that you're trying to make sweep from left to right, or if you want it to, f- you know, fade from the background into the foreground, that kind of stuff is it's a lot easier to tell if you have good stereo, um, good headphones. So um, I use a pair of Sony's here in the uh, in the studio. They're actually a few years old. I probably ought to upgrade at this point, but I have other. <laughs> <laughs> more pressing matters at the moment, but at their uh, MDR 7506s. Um, They're decent. The uh, the ones that I uh, that I use when I'm playing out live, though, what's more important than the sound quality is the way that they perform in a live setting and how that affects your performance. So uh, the ones I use out when I play out live are Vmoda headphones. They're um, LP2 crossfades. Um, they are built like a tank, Uh, The head, the the band itself uh, doesn't have any joints or anything in it. One of the problems I had with Pioneer headphones when I first got into DJing is that the joints would constantly break because they're made of plastic. And once your plastic starts getting infested with the, you know, over the years, months in some cases of of like sweat and like salt and stuff like that getting in there, just kind of like it causes everything to break down prematurely. Um, The V-Modas I've had now for probably two years. And I mean, I don't hold back when I play shows. I get sweaty. And these things are just, they're rock solid. Um, really sound, the sound isolation is great, which is also really important. You want to make sure when you're wearing headphones and you're trying to play live and use the headphones for monitoring, um, and for cueing, you want to make sure that you're, you're not getting too much of their background bleeding through and you want to be able to control the level of the background based on your, your cue, uh, crossover knob rather than just having it on one ear and using the monitor speaker. Cause you don't always have a monitor speaker depending on where you're playing. Right. Um, so these are, they're built really solid. They have a, um, they, the headphone cord itself detaches on both ends. Um, and it has like a built-in microphone too. So if you like are, you know, out, you're doing um, producing on the road while you're in between shows and you need to do a, a call with someone like, you know, for instance, if we were having this conversation and I was on tour, I would plug my V-Modas into the laptop port. And the way that it's it's hooked up, it's it's set up just like the iPod uh, headphones, where it's got a microphone built into it. And right. um, I actually have a video that I did um, on YouTube where I'm using the VModa headphones as my um, my microphone source. Um, the, the 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 headphone cable is um, made with uh, Kevlar, so it's really 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 strong. Wow. And, um, the, it comes with two cords, one like short one for you know just using in in the. You know when you're doing using at home or listening to your iPod or whatever, and one really long one for in the booth and you're running around between different decks and stuff. Um, There uh, and and to top it all off, it comes with this really awesome hard shell case that zips open and closed and and then has a carabiner that can attach to your like to to a D ring on your backpack or whatever. So when I'm walking into a event, I've got my backpack on. And my headphones are just hanging off of a little strap and I don't have to worry about them. They're in their own protected case. So I don't have to worry about them getting crushed or anything like that. And, and they just, they go with my bag wherever it goes. So,
0: wow. Um, That's a great piece it's of hardware. Just
1: being good. Sa- I mean, they, they make great sound, but they're I think what's more important than things sounding good for live stuff yeah. your 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 headphones need to be well designed they need to be able to make it through several years of, of performing on the lo- on the road and, and abuse uh, that that road equipment tends to get more than studio equipment so um, i'd say that there was a, that was probably one of the best buys of uh, of hardware that i've ever done
0: that's awesome so which one of your productions are you most proud of um
1: well i uh, up until recently, I actually, some of my my very first tracks that I worked on and and released, I thought had some of the best, um, creative, um, output. However, uh, with having just completed this EP, I feel like, uh, when it gets out there, this is the stuff that's actually, I'm going to, that sets the new standard for what I consider, um, good music for me. So, um, of course, nobody's heard it except my close friends and, um, my label, but it's, uh, you know the, the stuff that I was working on before really didn't incorporate a lot of the um, the organic elements and the um, sort of. The, they're trying to make things a little bigger sounding now, so I'm going with more orchestral stuff, um, sort of cinematic in, in a sense. Uh, so um, it it has not been a linear progression. There were some of the tracks that I made more recently that I didn't think were as good as some of the ones that I made earlier, but now I feel like. The stuff that's about to come out is is probably my best work so far
0: sweet Um, when's it coming out
1: uh it should be um the the it's a three track ep um i'm releasing the first track on the first and then um the second track on the second uh, then on the third day, it'll be the, re- the official remixes of the second track. And then on the fourth day, of course, July 4th, that day is, uh, I'll be releasing the, the final track on the EP. And that track actually has, um, probably one of the more powerful sort of politically motivated messages in it that is centered around the idea of, you know, our, our country and our, um, ideals. independence Yeah, it's, it's, um. The, the the bridge has a um, a minor key adaptation of the um, the Star Spangled Banner in it uh, hmm. because of the the fact that there's been so many um, really really bad scandals that have happened recently that have really ruined or very, at least very very badly damaged America's credibility in an international community as being um, uh, you know an, a, a a defender of uh, of right versus wrong you know yeah. now we're in kind of a gray area now we we participated in torture and um you know started wars that turned out to not have any motivation other than mm, helping out our oil buddies uh right. you know so the this this one in particular deals with uh there was—I um, don't know if you know who um, Bradley slash Chelsea Manning is. Uh, the, the, basically, the whole WikiLeaks thing that blew up a while ago um, was as a result of uh, some documents that were exposed, and 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 one of them being a video of um, a, a group of uh, helicopter um, gunners who were basically having the time of their lives, gunning down people on the ground who were essentially defenseless. You know, didn't have weapons. They were journalists, and uh, so that that. That track deals with the idea that, hey, guess what? If we don't start thinking about what we're doing as a country and, and trying to make, you know, as, as, as civilians, we need to be more informed uh, of the decisions we make in our, um, in how we deal with our legislators and things to, to make sure that they know, hey, we care about how we look when we come across the rest of the world. We don't, we don't want to be world, world police. We want to be, the, the, you know, the leaders who you know people respect not because but not because they, f- they think we're going to shoot them.
0: <laughs> gotcha. So,
1: anyway, that's that's what that song is about, and the whole the whole EP is about just kind of the the, the wrong directions that things have been going in this country recently. So, um, gotcha. I, I try not to be a negative person in general, and and uh, most of the time my music isn't necessarily negative, uh, but this one I felt like it was a t- it needed to be said. Uh, yeah. So, that's uh. uh I think part of what, why I'm proud of it is the fact that I'm, I'm actually using the platform that I have as a way to, to get more people thinking about this very important issue. Um, you know, Not because I want them to vote for anyone in particular, but because I want them to be more informed citizens.
0: That's good, man. I commend you for keeping your integrity in Thanks. on what you believe. Tell us more about what you're, you're doing. You have some projects. Uh, you're releasing an EP. Uh, what would you like to uh, plug, and what do you want people to, to do after listening to you on this show? Where do you want them to go?
1: Um, well, they should find me on uh, social media, uh, You know, F- Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter. Um, I even have a MySpace page, although I don't really keep up with it. <laughs> um, and and you just reach out to me, Blendrix. Um, if you're interested in production in particular, which I'm assuming most people who are listening to your show are, connect with me on YouTube. Um, the videos that I have on there, uh, I I think that some of the stuff, in particular, um, I have a, one on there called Ableton um, Freshman Seminar, which is about four hours long and it's, it's, it gets very in depth and it was actually filmed <clears throat> with a live, uh, classroom environment. So there's, I actually field some questions from, uh, people who are in that classroom. So, um, and I, I try to be as thorough as I possibly could in that. So if you really don't know anything at all about Ableton, you want to get into that. Uh, would say that's a great video to start with. Um, I also uh, help facilitate a couple pages on Facebook that are d- related to uh, Ableton tips and tricks and stuff like that too. So, um, you know, yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, that that stuff is the, usually the best way. Um, I also respond to messages on pretty much any of my um, accounts. Like I'm not one of the people that's just going to uh, get a message and be like, oh, another fan, <laughs> delete. <laughs> um, you know, the, like, I, I legitimately will interact with people if they have any questions at all about production techniques or, um, you know, uh, they want some promos, tracks or whatever, see whatever I'm working on. I'm happy to give people work in progress stuff and be like, "Yeah, hey, i play it out. See how it sounds. If you hear anything that's missing, send it back. Tell me what I, what I should fix. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm never above accepting, um, criticism from, from anyone. It doesn't matter if it's, uh, another music producer or someone who doesn't know anything about the music at all, because, <laughs> um, you know, if you can hear that's pretty much your only criteria. So, right,
0: you're qualified.
1: Yeah, yeah, and enough to to have an opinion. Whether or not that opinion is based in like a, a large amount of knowledge or not is yeah. Some some people are going to have a lot, and other people won't. But what's re- what's most important is if they don't like how it sounds, it doesn't matter if they don't know how I made the sound. If it doesn't sound good to them, then I want to know that.
0: So exactly, exactly. That's good, man. Very gracious of you. Well, now, that's, you have- that's what it takes to get better.
1: You know, like you, oh, yeah. I think everybody needs to realize that you know this this scene isn't big enough for egos. We 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 have to be willing to listen to everybody's opinion on stuff, and um, you know, and if we want to make if we honestly want to be better musicians, we have to listen to everybody's feedback. And if you know, if they're generally interested in our genre of music, but then don't like what it is we're making when we're doing possibly something wrong, um, and be willing to at least look at the idea that maybe they just don't have the taste for our stuff, and we have to be okay with that. Or oh, maybe there's a way I can interest that person you know it's kind of like the the dj mentality the dj mentality is like all right i'm gonna i don't care all the people that are on the dance floor right now i'm i'm looking at that guy standing over there in the corner texting on his phone what does it take to get that guy dancing you know (laughs) um and that's i I think producers have to think the same way too is like you know that we have to we have to try to reach out and make our music appeal to more people
0: yeah i love that man and i love what you're all about thanks It's, it's very cool and it's great for the industry thank you do you have any final messages you'd like to say before we end off?
1: I guess keeping in, in the, uh, with the idea that most of the people who are listening to this are, are um, other producers in various stages of development, keep at it. Um, you will get frustrated so many times. You, you will want to quit. You'll want to walk away. And um, possibly more commonly, you'll want to produce something that you don't necessarily enjoy just because you think it'll finally get you the exposure that you want. Mm. Don't go down that route. Uh, so many people have already done that, and it hasn't paid, it hasn't played out well for them in the long run. Yeah, of course, it makes them possibly a little bit more popular in the short term, but in the long run, first of all, they have to deal with two things: they're jumping on trends, which now means they have to disown everything that they want every six months just to make sure that they're staying popular, and they have to deal with the sort of the guilt of abandoning their artistic vision. Um, so, you know, decide from the beginning that you want to make something because you want to make something and you want it to mean something to you and you want it to mean something to people who like it. And you don't want have to worry about whether people like it because it's similar to something that they heard at a big festival that they went to, you know, uh, so many people jumped on the big room house tra- chain. You know, I don't necessarily have a problem with big room house as a whole, except for the fact that. I wouldn't produce it myself because I don't feel like it would challenge me, but it doesn't necessarily mean I think people shouldn't make it. But a lot of people jumped on making it because it was just the easy thing to do, and they thought that it would make them popular. And, yeah, maybe it gave them a few few more fans, but the, are those fans really into it for them? No, they're into it for a, for a fad sound that caught on really quickly. And, you know, like a ton of people made all kinds of like different versions of the Macarena when that came out, you know, they had Christmas <laughs> Macarena. Is anybody caring about that now? No. All right. So, you know, do you want to be the Christmas Macarena guy when you pick up some new genre that just came out? No, stick to your, you know, stick to your principles and you find have music that you want to make, decide you want to make that. If you get truly inspired by a new direction that, that, that you kind of want to go, uh, you know, And you know that the reason you want to do it is because you want to do it, not because you want to be more popular, then yeah, jump on. And I've, I've, you know, experimented with all kinds of different genres, but I did because I wanted to, not because I wanted to, you know, get more plays on SoundCloud or whatever. Right,
0: right. Good, man. Sage advice. Those are very, it's very important for people to do that. And they'll have longer, happier careers if they just do what you said, basically.
1: Absolutely. Oh, and here's one more thing Um, I quit my day job for a while when I was, uh, when I got into music production stuff. And at the time I thought I had a legitimate shot. Um, looking back on it now, I go, Oh yeah, there was no way. (laughs) Uh, so I would say to most people, um, you know, even if you have some money saved up and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to quit my day job and just work on music for a while, unless you have several like Tour managers like knocking down your door, trying to get you to to book you on festivals like right now, and they don't even care, you know, whether your uh, whether your setup is ready to go. They're you know going to do whatever they can to help you get a setup that's ready to go. That's the kind of thing where you'd say, okay, I'm going to walk out of my day job now. Looking back on it, um, you know, I put I ended up putting myself in a pretty um, tough financial situation. because I ended up not having income for a while, and then when I had to go back into the industry to look for a job, I ended up having to take a job that wasn't paying as much as the one I had before. Gotcha. So it's, um, I would say, you know, even for anyone who wants to have a career in music and have it be a lifelong career, even even for people you know, their names you know, they're rock stars in our minds. Those people at the end of their lives, they've they they pretty much have just made normal amounts of money. You never get rich being a musician. Um, you know, you can possibly make a career of it, but um you know with a very very rare exceptions of people like you know dead mouse and and uh you know avicii those guys like that tso um th- those guys we all know their names obviously but there's only a handful of them in the whole world who are making <laughs> right. that kind of money and in right. the rest of us we're going to have to accept the fact that for the most part we'll probably have to keep our regular jobs and strictly be driven by the passion of the music it has to be a hobby and then only when it begins itself exceeding your other income stream for whatever it is you're doing as your actual um, career, that's when you can start thinking about switching careers. And if I were to go back and give myself that advice, I, that's one of the things I would tell myself a few years ago is, hey, don't walk away from the day job. Uh, use your frustration with the, the you know, corporate lifestyle and all that kind of stuff as, a, as, a, as, a, as fuel t- for making
0: music. You know, um, I see what you're saying. You don't put yourself in a terrible yeah, situation to yeah. be and,
1: and being when, and when you're stressed about money, you can't make music. That's I figured true. that for a while, like a few months, I I couldn't write a, tra- a song at all. But I was unemployed, so <laughs> I wasn't really doing anything at all with my life at that point. And so I, I felt like, okay, maybe I actually walked away from one of the things that was really causing me to be so passionate about the music. You know, right. when your time right. gets constrained, you only have a certain number of hours that you're not at work and you can put into music. You really make good use of that time, and we, you know, obviously when you're not stressing about money, you don't have to worry about whether that is, you know, gonna, whether you're going to be able to eat and whether that's going to prevent you from making music. So
0: exactly. Good point. Good point. I hear you, man. And people need to apply that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, blendrix, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. Uh, gave sure. some incredible information. People thank are going to be getting so much out of this and, uh, I'm sure they're going to be better for it.
1: I, I sure hope so. That's, and you know, the whole reason that I started the whole YouTube channel thing is because I felt like, man, I've learned a lot of stuff from, you know, just experimentation and also just from learning from other people. So I thought, you know, I have my own sort of approach to teaching people. I hope to get the you know, the information out there in a way that helps people. And so I've, I've had positive feedback in the past before, but I always appreciate getting more more of it. But more importantly, if anybody has any ideas about how I could make any of the instruction stuff that I have out there better, I'm I'm way more excited about constructive criticism that i am about oh good job bro <laughs> so
0: <laughs> definitely yeah so yeah
1: you got- if i can say anything to the fans hey yeah, check out my stuff on youtube and if you think that you know i should add something more or if you think i droned on too long about a particular topic tell me and i'll uh, i'll take that into consideration
0: awesome yeah definitely check it out guys and uh do what he said hit him up thanks yeah man well thank you very much i hope and i hope everybody enjoyed the show that's going to be it for the producer podcast for today see you next time